Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Have a seat, if you will, and open up a Bible to Exodus. We'll be starting our series. We introduced our series on the Ten Commandments just uh, last Sunday, and this Sunday we are dealing with the very first commandment. And so as you turn to the book of Exodus, we are looking in verses uh, 1 through 17, but really focusing on verse 3. And I came across a story that I thought was just fascinating, that I thought related to what we're talking about. And it has to do with a young couple that was engaged, and they saw everybody from where they were in St. Louis going to California and desiring to be a part of the gold rush. I mean, what's better than to get married and get rich at the same time? I mean, in fact... <laughs> Anyway, so that's, that's what you, you want to do. So they got married, and there they joined a caravan, and they're headed all the way to California for the gold rush. And they get into Nebraska, and they kind of wandered off, and they got into some water. They drank some water that was contaminated. They got back with the caravan, and next thing you know, the signs, the manifestation of this poison had hit them. And they just said, hey, we are not doing well. And the, the guy driving the caravan said, listen, we can't wait on you catch up in a few days. Well, they got sicker and sicker and she died. Susan Hale is her name and she died and the husband eventually got better. And so he didn't have any other option but to tear down his wagon and to build a coffin out of his wagon and bury his new wife that he loved and cherished right there in that spot. And having done that, he just thought, you know what, I, I want to remember her. I want to honor her. And, I, and I, I don't have anything to do that. And he thought about going to California, then coming back. And he's like, I would never know how to get back here. So what he did is he walked back home to St. Louis. He got a, a granite carver to make a monument with her name, Susan Hale, the date of birth, the day she died, and some very honoring words. And he tried to hook up with another caravan, but he didn't have a wagon and no one had room to take him and the monument. So what he did is he took what little money he had. He bought a wheelbarrow. He put the granite monument in the wheelbarrow and he walked all the way to Fort Kearney, Nebraska, where his wife was buried and he set up a monument. And it was right. I mean, he loved his wife. He wanted to show his love. He wanted to memorialize her. He wanted the world to know about his love and it's kind of true about us. We have rights to put memorials up. But sometimes there's just things in life, not afterlife, but things in life that should be set up as a rock, as a stone, as a monument of what is most important in our lives. We're at one of those passages right here, the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm not relating to the fact that the Ten Commandments are on, were on stones, but I'm relating to the fact that this is sacred and this is honorable, and you and I should have this imprinted within our very soul. As if to say, this isn't a code of ethics that's up for your vote or your permission. This is God speaking. He says it in the very first verse. God spoke to them and said, and he laid out the Ten Commandments. He gives these Ten Commandments, and we see some unique characteristics of the Ten Commandments. Um, he first bases it clearly upon his experience with them already. In other words, he's saying, I am the one that delivered you out of Egypt, and I am the one that's taking you out of slavery. Here's what he means. Uh, remember the one that made the sky go black? That was me. Remember the one that turned the Red Sea into blood? Remember that? Uh, yeah, that was me too. 
Remember the one that brought all the flies and the locusts and the boils, and then ultimately the spirit or the angel of death came through and killed the firstborn animal and the firstborn son of those who didn't have my blood? Remember that? Yeah, that was me. And I am the one that is calling you out of slavery. So this was this is all language of emancipation. This is language of, I'm going to take the yoke off of your neck, and now I'm about to reveal myself in the fullest way ever, not just in signs and wonders, the cloud by day and the fire by night, splitting the Red Sea. I'm going to reveal myself to you in spoken word and in law. So listen, I'm telling you, this is the truth. Some characteristics of this Ten Commandments. There's a couple, there's uh, uh, some thou shall nots, and there's two thou shall. There's, there's things you, you don't do, and there's things you do. And they're just paramount. And, and, and I say that to say they're in the first person singular. So it's not y'all behave, it's you obey this. And now, now, there is some collective and corporate aspects to the Ten Commandments. I'm not saying there's not, but I am saying this. Um, you and I should read this as though God were speaking to you personally, singularly, with expectation of you and me obeying this. Here's what that means. That means that when I see God face to face, that I can't say, uh, the devil made me do it. No, no, no. He gave me the command. I can't say, this woman you gave me made me. No, 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 no. I gave you the command. And so you, you may be the head of a company, the leader of a company, and you can't justify disobedience because you had a lot of responsibility and you didn't know what to do because the Lord is telling you these are your commandments. You may be the leader of an organization. You might be the leader of a church. You may, be, you may be a follower in a church. You may be a follower in an organization, and you can't say, well, it wasn't my decision. They told me to do it. You can't say that because the Lord is speaking to you in the singular, personally, you don't do this, or you do this personally. That's what it's another characteristic is that these commandments are, are concerning two relationships. This, these commandments are Godward, how we relate to God, and these commandments are corporate, they relate to one another. So relationships with God comes first, then a relationship with others is next. In fact, we could even say this, if your relationship with God is wrong, your relationship with others will always be wrong, right? In fact, we could even say this, if you have a hard time getting along with other people, or if you just constantly say, man, everybody's a bunch of jerks, right? Which that's tempting to say sometimes. Then maybe it's because you're not seeing things correctly. Because when you have the vertical right, the horizontal starts working out. It just does. I'm not saying if you're honoring God and worshiping God that all your relationships will be perfect. That's not going to be true. But what I am saying is when you see God correctly, you begin to see others correctly the way God does. So these Ten Commandments are very, very powerful. And then here is the first one. Let's just read it. It's very short, very simple. Let's read verse 2 first. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And here's what he says. Do not, thou shalt not, do not have other gods, small g, small g, God. Do not have other gods besides me. So here's what it says. Worship God only. Worship God only. Every heart has an impulse 
and a thrust to worship. There's something about you that desires to worship. You can't help it. Our worship falls on things or people or on God, and literally the choice is yours. And so the Lord God Almighty, who has all the power and has all the right and the privilege, He says, get it right, worship me only. There should be no other small g gods before me. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that should be worshipped. But here's a problem with Israel. Those that were listening, you know that shortly after this, they go and they fashion a golden calf. And so because they, uh, they were involved in pagan worship in the past, it became easy for them to reshape the definition of God. So it's called syncretism. It's where you take a multiple amount of objects and you, or thoughts, and you amalgamate, you, you, you melt into place a new thought or a new person or a new God. So syncretism was a, a yearly activity in Israel. I mean, it just seems like it kept coming up. God's people were constantly tempted to make their faith and both the religion. And when God insisted on worship, uh, they, he called them to make a choice. Make a choice in what you believe and know what you believe. So have you ever heard it said, man, it doesn't matter what you believe, just believe it very, very sincerely. Have you ever thought, heard that? It doesn't matter what somebody believes. They should just believe it with all their heart and they'll be okay. And God is saying, no, that is not true. You can be sincere about something and be sincerely wrong. Three plus three does not equal 20. It doesn't matter how sincere you are about it. You can, you can beat your head. You can give money to the three plus three society all you want to. You can go serve the three plus three society, but it's wrong and you'd be sincerely wrong. And so God is giving definition. Don't serve other gods. Serve me. Serve me alone. When the covenant was uh, renewed in Shechem, if you remember this, Joshua exhorted the people. Listen, we're going to get right with God. Every one of us, here's what Joshua's saying. Now, here's what you do. Get rid of all of their options. Get rid of all other gods. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in, the, and in Egypt. Serve the Lord, Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Serve him only. Also on Mount Carmel, prophet by the name of Elijah, when Israel had fallen into worshiping other gods and other things, they worshiped the Baal God, B-A-A-L, Baal God. They worshiped around the Asherite pole, and they worship pagan gods. And, and so Elijah said, God's had enough. And on Mount Carmel, it's a massive mountain range. They were having a, a power encounter, if you will. They were going to have an MMA uh, in the spiritual realm. And you had all the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. And he had Elijah that stood up there and said, man, I'm about to take you down. And they had this, remember the showdown with, with the altar and the fire that came down and God saved the day. But here's what he said. He's very, very clear. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But be single-minded. And Baal wasn't God that day for sure. The Lord God Almighty is God. There are no alternatives whatsoever. Later, Jesus would remind us to his followers, he would say, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't be deluded. You can't be uh, worshiping other gods. God just made it very clear. I mean, imagine. Imagine, men, if your wife came home, she said, hey, I have someone I want you to meet. And you're like, who's this dude? And she says, man, listen, I love you, but I also love this guy too. And you're like, what? And then he says, she says, look, honey, you're my favorite, but he's my favorite too. Are you kidding me? And you get Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, he gets Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And you're like, are you kidding me? This is nuts. And you would be crazy not to go nuts, right? There is no divergent. There, there is no option when it comes to God, just like that story. You have to be single-minded and you have to protect that single-mindedness. In fact, he says this way, he says, there are, uh, have no other gods besides me, as though there's an option. And you have an option. You can be totally wrong. You have the option to be wrong. You have that option. And there, there are other small g gods. There are. You say, what are you talking about? I'm, listen, when the Lord God in heaven, before He created everything, and you had all the angels, and there was incredible worship, and there was that incredible reverberation of the presence of God that thrilled every heart, and everyone was satisfied. And then Lucifer, who was head of the worship, he wanted glory to go to him and not to the one they were worshiping. And God found pride in his heart, cast him down, and one-third of the angels went with him. And there's a hierarchy of spiritual muscle that was literally embezzled the power of God, and there they are, and there they exist, and they're here today too. Paul says that they will masquerade as an angel of light sometimes. They will entice people to come this way or this way and worship in a false way in a, to a false god. And we have many of these things. Listen, there's only one God, and Yahweh is His name, manifested and incarnating as the Lord Jesus Christ. Very clear. And any other worship of any other thing is an abomination to God, and it's breaking the very first commandment, and you can't fulfill any of the other commandments, and you are done. Undone. So let me, let me say this. Just because you use the same vocabulary doesn't mean you use the same glossary. Just because you say Jesus doesn't mean you're defining him in your heart correctly. Does that make sense? Just because you say God doesn't mean or you bow to God or you claim to know God or you want God as your co-pilot and you have all these God-type statements all around you doesn't mean you are worshiping the Lord God Almighty. This is why, listen, when you come to church, we don't just have an emotional experience, but we study we read the scripture. We let God define himself. Not me, not you, but God from his word. And we do what the word says. The Lord is very clear in who he is. And we read the word. We don't just state the name. We define him for who he is and what he's done. And it makes all the difference in the world, right? It's like saying, I love Chris. Well, which Chris are you talking about? There's probably 50 in this room. No, this one. <laughs> I mean, I love you too, but not like this one. <laughs> Not like her. She has definition. She has a birthday. 
She has characteristic. I can tell you a whole lot about Chris. I'm still learning about her, trust me, after 37 years. But the bottom line is, she's mine. You're not, period. See what I'm saying? So just by saying Chris, just by saying God, not in the same sentence, but just by saying God or Jesus, you must define him, right? Let the word of God define him. There's so many false gods that are out there. And it's very, very clear. So here's what we do. We worship God only. Man, it's simple. It's so simple. He defines himself. He tells you what he's like. He's pursuing you. He gives conviction. And he draws us to himself. It's so simple. He, he, he sent his son in front of everybody. And everyone talks about him. It's split time. A.D. B.C. It's clear that he rose from the dead. Go to the tomb. He's not there. It's so simple. You you turn to him. And so what we also do, not only do we worship God only, but we run from idolatry. And idolatry is tempting. A guy by the name of Doug Stewart said this. He's an Old Testament scholar. He said there are nine reasons that Israel was tempted to follow pagans. Nine enticing reasons that people followed paganism. The first one was their form, their structure of paganism, they always had a guarantee. And so this guarantee was something that they could just count on that if I go and I, I, I sacrifice wine and an oblation or, or I give a goat, then automatically they're telling me if I do this, then automatically something will happen. Even in, in, in witchcraft, there's incarnations, incarnations, incantations, I should say. And these incantations, if you do this, this, then they have to have a bad day. And so it's this contractual guarantee. And with the Lord, you don't have that. I'm telling you. The Lord God Almighty, He is personhood, relationship. And when you go to Him and you say, Lord, I need you to fix my car, He's like, I don't know. Well, I've said in Jesus' name, you got to fix my car. And He's like, "Mm, I don't know. I might have different reasons for your car not being fixed. Like if you came to me and you came up to me and you said, Father Mac, which don't call me that, by the way. But if you said, Father Mac, um, or Mac Daddy. I, no, 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 no. <laughs> Father Mac, did I just lose you? I'm sorry. <laughs> Father Mac, in the name of you, <laughs> take me to lunch. It won't, go, it won't go well for you. It won't go well. But if you sit down with me and we just had a chat, and you're just like, hey, you want to go to lunch with me? Man, I'd love to go to lunch with you. See, see the difference? Or what if I said, you know, uh, I can't right now, but, you know, let's do something else another time. See, God isn't, he's not a robot. God is personhood. And there's sometimes that we pray for healing and people are healed. And then other times we pray for healing and, and healing doesn't always come. But he still loves us and he's still God. And what these pagan would-be so-called gods do, or the religions of them centered around them, they say, if you do this and this, then this has to happen. And they go away expecting that and then very disappointed in the long run. And so there's a temptation. And when you bite into the temptation, you are greatly disappointed in the end. But with the Lord God Almighty, you get Him, not so much the little trick that you're wanting. Number two, it's very selfish. So the reason you go after paganism is because it's, it's, it's akin to uh, the guarantee part, but it's, it's a lot of these fake gods and, and different things. You'll go, sometimes you go into a shop and you see people giving food to, to an altar. You see this in different types of religion or, or, or a certain sacrifice and you give up. 
And it's, it, it works like this. I'll feed you. I'll scratch your back. You scratch my back. It's very selfish. It's me trying to get something. Doug Stewart goes on to say, it's very easy. Sure, on one hand, you bring some kind of offering, but there is little in the way of ethical standard or personal sacrifice. You go worship a God, a fake would-be God, and you walk away, and there are, there's no ethical standards of being good or righteous at all. In fact, let me stop there for a second. We sang an unbelievable song that is based in, on Romans chapter 5, I think it's verse 20, where it says, where sin abounds, grace much the more abounds. And we, can, we sang those songs, we sang that, those words that, that when there's sin, then grace is more. Remember that? And, and I, Scott and I and our staff, we want, we want our whole congregation to understand the complete forgiveness of God, that where sin abounds, grace topples it and is much better and bigger. However, we are not saying this that I have the right just to go about and sin all I want to, that, grace is, that God's going to forgive me no matter what. That's not what we're saying. We are saying that when we seek God and we come to know Him through the Lord Jesus Christ, He transforms us and we want to do good. And when we fall, God covers us with His grace. That's what we're saying. But some people buy into what's called cheap grace or easy believism. And you come do a Sunday thing maybe once every few months, and you, you worship God and you may give a little tip in the offering plate or something like that. And then you go live as though God doesn't control your life. It's, just, that's, it's, it's a type of paganism. It's just not good at all. Number four, one thing that was enticing to Israel about the paganism is that it was convenient. Very convenient. The ancient world worshipped, worked on a franchise basis that they had temples all over Israel. They'd put them what's called in the high places. They would, they would go to these places and they were up. In fact, I, I could take you if you want to go to Israel with me, up, up, up right where the Jordan starts, a place called Dan. There they have altars that they found at the time of Jeroboam, one of the kings, and it's an altar to pagan gods. And they would sneak away from their synagogue, so to say, and they would come over here and they would just they'd worship this and then go back and do it. It was convenient. They wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's 70 miles away, walking. I mean, so it's just convenient. Harvard Business School talks about how to plant churches. And they talk about it being uh, a what's in it for me mentality. In other words, what am I going to get out if I come to your church? And is it convenient? Can, can I just watch it on TV? Can I, just, can I just come occasionally or will there be some expectation? And when I come, is it going to make me feel good? Is it, going to, is it going to tickle my itching ear? Is it going to be convenient and easy? King David said, I'm not going to worship God unless it costs me something. Sacrifice. Sacrifice of time. You're going to go to church? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to church this week because, you know, I've got this, I've got that, I've got this, I've got that. And you're like, I understand interruptions. Man, I'm, I'm not a Sabbatarian, Okay. You don't have to come to church to go to heaven. You don't. You don't. The thief on the cross proved that. But sometimes we say that a lot, and in a context, people begin to devalue the worship of God in a corporate way, the way he says to do it. So convenience sometimes spreads into the body of Christ, and if it's not convenient, and if I don't have little leagues, and I don't have this, and, I, and, I, and everything's perfect at home, and the house is clean, and I've got all the groceries, then I'll come to church, I would never go to church if that were true. 
I mean, really. I always need something done on my car or in my yard. And sometimes I have to say, you know what? I may look bad to my neighbors, but I'm going to go worship God today. Next, it was normal. Everybody did it. Everybody would go to a temple. Everybody would go worship Baal. Baal. And then, is it normal? It's just normal. Man, look, I don't expect people who don't know God to worship God. I don't. I don't. But listen to me. Um, when you have a community to where 90% of the people claim to worship God, 90%, and yet on a Sunday like today, there will be probably 8% of the population in worship, there's a disconnect, right? There's a, there's a thought process that's not clear, that's not following. So should we do what everybody else does or should we do something different? It was pleasing to the census. I mean, the worship was fantastic in the pagan places. It was indulging. I mean, there was meat. Not everybody had meat to eat, but there they'd have meat. And then also it was erotic. That was in the other senses. Lastly, it was erotic. And they believed that the only way to get the gods to do something fantastic was for them to get together. And somehow in their sick view of sexuality, they imposed it on their view of the deities and said only when they compulate will anything great happen. So entice, in, to entice the gods to compulate and do all this, then we've got to do it down here. And they had pagan prostitutes, etc. And it's just crazy. Listen, that's what happens when a man gets a hold of worship. It goes nuts. It's crazy. And God says this, Worship me only. Run from idols, but worship me only. Let me ask you this. How's your worship life? Now, look, if you ask me, I've gone like, man, I, I really need to step it up. And I, but at least ask the question. Just because I'm short in some areas, so, you know, if you ask me, how's my prayer life? I'm like, ah, I think I can do better. Are you in the Word enough? No, I think I can do better. Are you worshiping enough? I think I can do better. And, and you, you plan on that. But just because we don't all measure up doesn't mean we shouldn't ask the question. How's your worship? Is it in truth or is it just sincerity? Do you know who you're worshiping? Do you, do, are you learning the Word of God not so that you can win arguments with your friend during the water break, but are you studying the Word of God? And are you in Bible study? Are you in life group? Are you, are you in these places to where you can grow so that your worship intensifies when you think of a passage? How about, how about this? Ask the question so that you know why you do what you do. And you know what the goal is in mind. So let me ask us the question. I'm asking us, all of us. How's our worship? Is it in truth? Is it in spirit? John chapter 4, Jesus goes through this very clear. John chapter 4, 24, God is spirit, therefore you must worship him in spirit and in truth. So in spirit, here's what that means. The right, at, well, not physical, not like the pagans do, but God is immaterial and I worship him not necessarily with things, but I worship him with my heart. He has my heart. He's got that central processing system within you that he programs it, and then we use all the other operating systems from that core, that base, and that's what we do. So, worship God only, run from idols, and third, turn to Jesus immediately. 
So on this side of the resurrection, the law kind of has a new form. So the law doesn't become something it wasn't, but the law actually changes a little bit. In the Old Testament, it was the basis of a covenant, but Jesus has a new covenant. Many Christians and many different denominations and some people who write, they, they would say that the law, the Ten Commandments, has no bearing on Christians at all. And that's just not true. The Ten Commandments are still valid for us to live by. It's just that it's been transposed. Does anybody here, you know how to transpose music? Right? You know how to transpose? You ever heard of that? I don't know anything about music. I don't know how to transpose it. But I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express one night. And I understand that you take a song in one key and you transpose it to where you play it in another key or octave. And, and it might be something that you can sing now because it was in a key that you couldn't sing in and you transpose it. In fact, our, our musicians, they do that all the time. They'll hear a song and they'll go, look, Brother Matt can't sing that. We gotta put it in a key he can sing in. Or the most of us, most of the guys can sing in certain keys. Most guys can't sing in certain keys. So we transpose it, isn't that right? So we transpose it so everybody can sing it. And so here's what happened. Is Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and he says, man, you've heard Moses say you should not kill, but I say, if you hate in your heart, you've already committed murder. So what he does is he transposes it and it becomes a code of ethics that we can follow because the Holy Spirit is inside of us writing the law within our minds and within our hearts and we naturally want to obey because it's driven from the inside, not from the outside. That's what's been transposed is the law is not an external force upon us, but an internal reality that we want to please God and worship Him. And the only way to get that is to turn to Jesus immediately. Here's why because he is supreme. <laughs> He's better than any God, any would-be fake small g God. He, he is supreme. He is the one who spoke the world into existence and said, let there be light, and there was light. No one else has that power. He was the one who was the lawgiver originally, and he was the one who received the judgment of the disobedience of the law when he died on the cross. I'm telling you, don't look anywhere else. There's no need to. Yeah. Jesus is supreme to everything else you could ever imagine. I would go as far as to say he's even higher than your own thoughts, right? He's even more pure than you could ever imagine. There are no adjectives. There are no adverbs that describe the beauty of the Lord. But I would also say he is completely sufficient to satisfy all of your needs to where you need to not go anywhere else. For he is the one mediator between God and man, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Hebrews chapter, chapter 1, verse 3 says this, He is the exact representation. He is the radiance of His glory. He is the perfect impression of what the Father is. What you want to see about God, you see in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he clearly said, in John chapter 14, he says, If you have known me, you have known my Father. For now on, you do know him who you can't see. You do know him because you have seen me. In other words, Jesus had the audacity to say, If you know God, you know me. If you know me, you know God. If you follow me, 
you, and you love me and you worship me, you worship God. So he is superior and he is sufficient for all of your curiosity to come in, focus, and laser in on what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. And I'm telling you, church, he's worthy of all of your worship. Don't be divided. Uh, don't have, be the kind of person that doesn't need anybody to come to you and say, man, who do you serve? Who, who do you worship? Don't, don't, let, don't let it be to where people are in doubt of who your Lord is and who your master is. When the commandment says, do not have other gods but me, he's calling you and me to be single-minded and to run and to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this, where aren't you going to go? Really? What are you going to do? Who are you going to worship? You going to worship a totem pole? Really? It's made out of wood? You going to do that? Really? You going to worship the ones that, <laughs> that fell on Mount Carmel? You going to do that? You going to worship the one that fell at the bottom of Sinai that was turned to dust? You say, well, there's a lot of people out there. That have some great... People? You want to follow people? Really? You're a people. <laughs> you think people should follow you? No. We don't follow peopleness. We don't follow fellows. We don't follow gals. It's tempting because our heart gets taken away by beauty or intellect or by the promise of things. And next thing you know, they got you. You have your eye set on a certain prize, but it's just on earth. And it'll take you away to where you begin to worship with your things and your mind and your soul. But Jonathan's armor bearer said this. Remember this? Jonathan said, listen, we're going to attack the Philistines and it's worth it because Yahweh is God. And his armor bearer said this, I'm with you heart and soul. Let's go for it. That is pure worship. Heart and soul centered on who God is and what he's done for you. If you don't know Jesus who is superior and sufficient as your Lord and Savior, then the weight and judgment of these commandments are on you right now. They're on us right now. But if you accept Jesus as the one who gave the law and yet bore the penalty of the law, then you have a whole new relationship with the law. You have a whole new relationship with God. And you have an eternity waiting for you. You have the Holy Spirit that's about to fill you right now who will put the law in your heart and your life will begin to change. You're not going to be perfect but you're going to grow a little bit today and a little bit tomorrow. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Worship God only. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamina's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org. 